This is In the Arena, the Colorado Concern podcast that explores the intersection of business and politics. I'm your host, Mike Kopp. Well, good morning. I'm Mike Kopp. I'm the president and CEO of Colorado Concern. Welcome. Colorado Concern is a network of chief executives. We're on a mission to protect and enhance the economic growth environment in the state of Colorado. To do this, we lead by defining problems, mobilizing our peers, and engaging in the public affairs of our state. That really does define what we do. I'd like to pause briefly now on that note and uh, very quickly recognize our elected officials who have joined us today. If, you would, if you're an elected official, if you would please stand so that we could acknowledge your service, we'd appreciate that. Thank you very much. I, I apologize we don't have adequate time to do a proper introduction of everybody. We're delighted that you could join us and we thank you for your service. We'd also like to thank Mr. George Sparks and the wonderful museum staff here. Uh, thank you. And uh, of course we thank our wonderful law enforcement professionals who are here to uh, be a part of this event. Thank you. So I often say that Colorado Concern works at the intersection of business and politics, and it's a subject that we explore on our podcast, which is called In the Arena. So what does this mean? For us, it's pretty simple. It's about building and supporting a strong economic growth environment that benefits everyone. We are about business, and we're about the business of business. Now, our civil engagement with the candidates and leaders who propose to serve in governing roles is not just vitally important. It literally is essential to our system. They govern, after all, by our consent. So it is imperative that we are clear with them about the issues that are important to us. And shame on us if we don't do that. And we take this work at Colorado Concern seriously. We take it up with civility, intellectual rigor, and honesty. It's a sober commitment that we as leaders all must share in, and if you're here, you're in some leadership capacity. So thank you for joining us in this important endeavor. So to that end, today we are pleased to host this forum for Governor Polis and Regent Ganahl. We're gonna hear them describe in detail what their approaches to governing will be if they are elected in November. And the format is as follows. Each candidate will have 25 minutes with our moderator. This is unusual. They will each have 25 minutes with our moderator, Mr. Dean Singleton. They will each have a two-minute closing statement. The subjects of the question are related to our mission, business and economic growth. And that's as much as I know about the subject or the uh, information that is contained in each of those questions. The order of their appearance has been decided by coin toss. Regent Ganahl will go first, followed by Governor Polis. Now, the questions themselves have been written entirely and exclusively by Mr. Singleton, and he alone knows what those questions are. They will be fair, firm, and tailored to each candidate as appropriate. A final word. We would appreciate your observation of two simple requests. I was going to use the word rule. That seems kind of heavy. Two requests. 
Please applaud at the beginning, in the end of each candidate's presentation, and at no other time during their presentation. And no cheering, certainly no booing during either of their presentations. Thank you. Now it's my pleasure to bring up our chairman, really what a wonderful chairman, Mr. Stanton Dodge. He's the chairman of Colorado Concern uh, for a brief message and he will have the honor of introducing Mr. Dean Singleton. Stanton Dodge. Thank you, Mike, and welcome everyone. As Mike said, I'm Stanton Dodge, and it is my distinct honor and privilege to be the chairman of the Board of Color Concern. Uh, I'd also like to take a moment now to ask the other board members in attendance uh, to please stand and be recognized. Roger, that's you. <laughs> Barry, Janine. Uh, I want to thank you all for your time, talent, and treasure. Uh, which has been key to our organization's tremendous success over the years. Uh, Colorado Concern is a singular network of CEOs who are on a mission together to strengthen Colorado's economy. We succeed on major objectives like last year's transportation bill uh, and this year's substantial property tax relief because we intensely focus on a few select issues and we tune out the noise and distractions just as we all do in our businesses every day. We want all Coloradans to succeed economically, and that's what brings us all together to form this great organization. Now it is my pleasure to, to introduce our moderator for today's forum, Mr. Dean Singleton. Dean is a longtime friend of Color Concern. He is one of the greatest American newspaper executives in the history of media, and I mean every word of that, uh, and that's quite an accomplishment. He's the founder and retired executive chairman of Media News Group, the second largest newspaper in the United newspaper company in the United States with 53 daily papers that truly revolutionized journalism. Dean's a cattle rancher, a community leader, a national thought leader, and someone who cares deeply about our beloved city and state. Thank you for your leadership, Dean, and for your commitment to having rigorous debate in our public affairs. Ladies and gentlemen, please give me give a warm welcome to Mr. Dean Singleton. Thank you. Regent Ganahl, and uh, thank you for doing this today and letting very important leaders know your thoughts about what kind of governor you would be uh, should you be elected. Uh, and my first question would be, if you are elected governor, tell me what your four years would look like. Thanks, Dean. So I get asked a lot. What are you going to do as governor of Colorado? And I say, first and foremost, I'm going to undo a lot of things. I want to undo a lot of the regulations, the taxes, the fees that are burdening small business owners and families and making it harder to afford groceries, gas, and school supplies, to be honest. People are really hurting in Colorado right now. As I've traveled the state, uh, visited all 64 counties almost twice now, and I've been an elected regent statewide for almost six years, so I've been doing this for a while. 
And what I hear is a level of anxiety, a level of distrust with our government, and they just really want to be trusted. People across Colorado, whether a small business owner or a parent or a farmer, a rancher, they want to be trusted to make good decisions for their lives, their businesses, their families, their health, and their kids. Okay. Um, you have said that if you were elected governor, you would advocate eliminating the state income tax and cutting the uh, gasoline tax in half. That's a big, big hunk of what runs the state. What would you replace it with? Well, first and foremost, we have a, a spending problem, not a revenue problem, I believe, in Colorado. Our state budget has doubled in the last decade and a couple billion dollars in the last few years. And I do believe that we should not be one of the largest employers in this state as the state government. I don't think that's a good path forward for Colorado. We also have states across our nation that are some of the hottest in the economy that are zero income tax. And no, I'm not going to increase other taxes to do this. Most of you that know me, that know my Camp Bow Wow history and She Factor and just my involvement in the business community know that I do big things. Like I'm all about going big. I don't nibble around the edges. And we've got a big problem here in Colorado. The size of government is too big. Taxes are too high. The regulations are too burdensome. We've got to unleash our economy. And in order to do that, I have a big, bold idea to take us to zero income tax over a couple terms, and I can go into details about how I'd like to do that if you'd like me to. Well, we'll have some limit of time, but, uh, but you know, it kind of makes the BS meter go up <laughs> because you can't, you, you, you can't cut that much revenue and not replace it. Are you going to eliminate the state police, you're going to eliminate uh, the highway department, the transportation department. You're, you'd have to cut out massive parts of the government. Do you think Coloradans would want to live in a state like that? Well, actually, we don't, Dean. I have some great economists helping me figure this out. If we move fees to taxes, which they actually are, there's a billion dollars there. If we find some fraud and waste in the budget, which who thinks we can find 5% fraud in the budget? I believe we can. Another billion or so there. How about we bring new business and industries to Colorado like they do in other zero-income states? We've looked at the numbers. We think that's 2 to $3 billion to refill the coffers. How about we get rid of special tax exemptions? How about we reduce the size of government by 10% a year? Governor Polis has grown the size of government by over 20% since he got into office. He's added 4,000 full-time new employees, 85 new taxes and fees. That is not the way we do things in Colorado. We are the Wild West. We are the new frontier. We are all about entrepreneurship. I have been so blessed to live the American dream here, and I was able to do it because we had an environment that made it conducive to starting businesses. Right now in Colorado, we had 27% more businesses shut down in the last quarter than previous years. That is terrible. That tells you right there that it is not easy to start a business here. And the job creators of our state are going to help me go to zero income tax. Um, as long as I've been an adult and been in the newspaper business, I've heard politicians say they're going to solve all of our problems by cutting out waste. 
but none of them ever have. Well, they don't so do how, it. <laughs> yeah, well, but nobody ever has. So how do you think you're going to do that? Well, in my first weeks as governor, I'm going to hire a special audit committee to come in and look at all of the budget, provide transparency. Because as a regent at the University of Colorado, I oversee a $5 billion budget as a regent there. I have had a terrible time getting real numbers about how the money's spent, what the return on investment is in those dollars that we're spending. It's been like pulling teeth to get actual numbers. We get nice fluffy PowerPoints, which happens in our state government as well, but you don't actually give me the opportunity as a CEO to roll up my sleeves, put pencil to paper, and actually cut spending where it doesn't make sense, and to stop spending on things that don't work. Right now, we are about to spend, oh, I don't know, several billion dollars. If you look at the numbers, it varies, but about $8 billion on K through 12. And 60% of our kids in Colorado cannot read, write, or do math at grade level. That is terrible. You know why that's important? Because those kids are four times more likely to drop out of high school. And 75% of crime that happens in this country is by high school dropouts. Then you look at Denver Public Schools, where 95% of African-American and Hispanic kids cannot read at grade level. And look at the amount of money we're spending. We're spending almost $100,000 per homeless person in Denver. We're not spending near that on our kids, about 19000 So we've got a huge gap there, and we've got to spend on things that are actually going to move the needle to make this a great place for our kids and grandkids going forward. Do you actually believe the voters will believe that you can cut the state income tax in the state income tax and cut gasoline tax in half? You think voters will actually believe that? Well, they believe it because we can. I have economists helping me figure this out. We've got to reduce our spending, you guys. Are you getting twice the amount of services from the government in the last 10 years? Is $40 billion the right number to spend on running our state? That's ridiculous. We can cut spending. We can still provide services that we should provide to the people of Colorado. At part of that problem is 260 that passed a couple of years ago. It's a boondoggle. It was sold to the voters as we're going to fix the roads. Only about a third of those dollars goes to fix the roads. And a third of that money or the third of the money for rural Colorado roads was cut recently. You know, there is a very intentional effort to stop people from driving in this state. And you know who that hurts? It hurts the poorest in our state. It hurts the farmers, the ranchers, the small towns across Colorado. It hurts the single mom in downtown Denver who cannot afford gas or cannot afford an electric vehicle or take transit to get her two kids to daycare and work every day. It's just unrealistic, and we've gone too far, too fast on this Green New Deal here in Colorado, and it's really destroying our economy. So a lot of this, again, is just rolling things back and undoing a lot of the policies that have been put in place in the last few years. Okay, have you have you seen the smog in downtown Denver? If Don't you think going to renewables and making the, econ- the, the environment better is, uh, is important for the people that live here? Yeah, Dean, we all want clean land, clean air, clean water for our kids, our grandkids, our families. So why not clean up the congestion on 270 or I-25 instead of cutting those projects and not fixing the roads? That makes no sense. Why not get our oil and gas industry back to work because we produce the cleanest energy on the planet here in Colorado? It makes no sense. If we want clean air, clean land, clean water, let's produce here where we do the right things for our environment and not defer to Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. But if you cut the gasoline tax in half, how are you going to fund improving the highways? 
I've laid out a transportation plan to do just that. What I believe we need is transparency with the voters. They are dying for somebody to just be honest with them and tell them the truth. And so what I did is I put together a plan that takes the, the bill, the taxes that have already been put through and puts it back to the voters. A lot of those are fees. Let's go back to the voters and say, here are specific projects. And I worked with transportation experts all over Colorado to put this together. And it's equitable. It's rural Colorado. It's the main, it's the front range. It's all of it. And let's do those specific projects. I'm not going to change anything on you. And then let's sunset it. So in 10 years, you know that we've done our job. Or if we haven't, you can hold the legislature responsible and me responsible for not. Now, every year, the legislature is going to have to kick in some, and so is private industry. But there is a desire to fix our darn roads in this state. It's affecting supply chains. It's affecting the ability for us to enjoy all of Colorado right now. Believe me, I've been out on the road nonstop for the last really six years as a regent and now as a candidate for governor, and it's a mess. Would you begin to decimate the current environmental regulations in Colorado? Well, I certainly would have submitted the science to the EPA so that we're not going to pay 30 to 40 cents more per gas. Um, you know, 70% of our ozone problem is not from us. It's from out of state or it's um, from natural sources. And the idea that we should up the gas prices right now um, when people are hurting so badly is just really out of touch. It's not the right thing to do for the people of Colorado. So we've got to have a common sense approach to this stuff. The governor has gone too far, too fast with this Green New Deal, and it's destroying Colorado. XL Energy will take the last three remaining coal-fired power plants offline in 2030. In your scenario, what would that power generation be replaced by? And as governor, how would you make that a reality? Well, I learned by doing and going and seeing. And so I went and toured the Kalawayo coal mine. I toured the power plant up in Craig. And I sat with them for hours going through the numbers and trying to figure out how the heck are you going to replace this energy that you are shutting down. It's, again, completely unrealistic. It's too far, too fast. And it hurts the poorest in our communities. It's going to destroy these small towns across Colorado. And if we're serious about clean energy, why did the legislature and why didn't the governor push towards the study for nuclear? That was in the last legislative session and they turned it down. That makes no sense. Nuclear is a good option that we should absolutely look towards if we are going to shut these plants down. But honestly, I don't think there's a good plan for replacing that energy. And if it's solar and wind, it's not reliable. We've got to have natural gas production here, and Colorado is the place to do that. But our energy um, companies need regulatory certainty. They need to know that if they're going to invest here, that it's, it's going to work out long term. They're getting whiplash right now with all these changes. Okay. I don't want to belabor it, but I, you still haven't told us how you're going to run the government with no state income tax and with half of the gasoline tax. It, it, it makes a good sound bite, but for most of us who understand state government, it's just total bullshit. So tell me, tell me why. Well, I'm wrong. a lot of people across Colorado think the government's total bullshit right now, Dean. <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah, but you still got, but you still got to get that. You just can't. I just say explained to you how we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to refill the coffers with new business and industry like they've done in the eight other, soon to be nine other zero income tax states. We are going to cut fraud and waste. We are going to stop step special tax exemptions. We are going to call fees what they are, taxes, and move them to the general fund. 
There's a lot of ways we can chip away at this over eight years. We've got a good plan, and we're posting it on the website today with more detail, but I feel very confident we can do this. You know, I've been told my whole life, you can't do this, you can't do that. Doggy daycare will never work out. You can't get through the recession with Camp Bow Wow. You can't run for regent. You won't win against the Democrats statewide in Colorado. And guess what? I'm a fighter. I'm a survivor. I know how to get things done. And right now, people are sick and tired of the out-of-control spending here. So I am going to go big. I am going to go bold. I'm not going to nibble around the edges. And we are going to get our state back on track. And if you guys don't believe me, watch us. Don't you think they'll be sick and tired when there's no services here? That's not I mean, the case. people didn't move to Mississippi. They moved to Colorado. Dean, I'm doing what the p voters of Colorado are asking me to do. I have been on the ground for six years listening to people across the state and talking to Democrats, unaffiliated, Republicans. People are fed up with the out-of-control spending, with the lack of transparency. So we're going to hold the government accountable. They're going to hold me accountable towards spending less, tightening our belt, and investing in things that work, like getting our energy industry back to work. If you want to fix the budget, if you want to refill the coffers, let's get oil and gas production going again. That's ridiculous that we're shutting that industry down. And then we're holding a meat out day to destroy the ag industry, which is one of the top industries in Colorado. That's a whole nother issue. What would you do to get oil and gas going? do everything I could to relax some of these overbearing regulations, give them regulatory certainty so they feel confident that we can produce here, and actually be a leader and an advocate and educate the public about why it's so important to stop lying to the public about the evils of oil and gas when it is the most important thing we can do to help the poorest in our society is to produce oil and gas here in Colorado and not rely on Saudi Arabia or Venezuela. This is also a national security issue, as we're seeing with Ukraine and what's happening in Europe. We can also add in nuclear. We can add in hydro. We can still do wind and solar. I am an all-of-the-above energy candidate and will be governor. But guys, we cannot do this without natural gas. It just doesn't make sense. Would you, in order to grow state economy, would you offer incentives to bring new business to Colorado? Zero income tax is the incentive. <laughs> Oil and gas production is the incentive. Let's fix crime. Who wants to do business here when we are number one in auto theft and the crime in, in the country? And who wants to do business here when our kids aren't learning to read, write, or do math in our schools? Who wants to do business here when we have 15.6% inflation, the highest in the country? That's, that's how you get business here is you fix these problems. You have a leader who wants to roll up their sleeves, listen to the people of Colorado. And if I have to take some ballot initiatives to the people of Colorado, I'll get them on board and they'll help me do it. What would you do to fix crime? Oh, I have a list. Okay. My dad's a police officer. He's here. And you're, now, no, knowing that you're not going to have any money to do it, but, but what would you do to Dean. fix it? I keep explaining how this is going to work. Um, so can you just assume that my plan's going to work and then... That's a pretty big assumption. All to right. Make. Well, don't then. I don't think anybody in this room believes that, but if you do, keep saying I have saying a lot it. of people who have invested in me as a candidate and as a governor who believe in my vision for Colorado. And yes, I'm going to do big, bold things. I'm not going to nibble around the edges. I'm going to fix these problems. And I will get this economy back on track. I will fix crime by making tough decisions like decriminalize, like decriminalizing fentanyl is not the right thing to do for Colorado. We've got to make fentanyl a felony and keep people in jail, put the drug dealers in jail. We've got to cancel our status as a sanctuary state 
Because do you guys know that that doesn't allow ICE agents and law enforcement to communicate and help each other? It's one of the top issues I hear on the southern border of Colorado. Fentanyl is destroying our state. It's destroying our community. It's the number one killer of people in Colorado aged 18 to 45. And it's killing our children. It's called fentanyl poisoning, not overdose, because they don't know the Xanax or Adderall that they're messing with is laced with fentanyl. And they're dying. They're literally dying right now. The media doesn't want to cover it, but it is the number one issue I hear about all over this state. Then I'm going to replace the parole board with people who actually have a law and order stance and will keep our communities safe. I'll replace the heads of Department of Justice, Public Safety, Corrections. I will have the back of law enforcement right now. They cannot recruit or retain anybody because of the qualified immunity issue, because no one wants to stick up for them and appreciate what they do. I don't know if y'all saw the funeral of that young cop up in Arvada that died. He was an amazing young kid. Oh my gosh, he was 27. He already served in the military. Just loved his country with all his heart and soul. And his family is very frustrated about how, what's happened to law enforcement in this state. And I hear that all over Colorado. This is happening more and more where law enforcement is saying, I can't do the job. Why should I keep trying? Why would I want to be a cop right now? It's all about just having their back. And in the debate the other night, the governor tried to say, I'm going to defund police and I'm going to cut the state uh, patrol budget. That's a bunch of nonsense. If you haven't learned anything about me on this campaign trail, it's that I respect law and order. I grew up with a dad that was in law enforcement. I will make our communities safe again by replacing leadership and having the tough conversations in communities to help them clean up homelessness, the drug problem, and crime that's happening all over our state. Switching gears a minute, the one of the biggest problems Colorado faces, has faced for a long time, and it's getting worse, is having enough water. We're growing like crazy as a state, and uh, we haven't figured out exactly how we're going to have enough water to take us into the future. Uh, we know that water's a problem throughout the West. What would you do to to make sure that Colorado has enough water to get us through the next 50 years? Well, again, it goes to leadership and having a governor who will stand up to the federal government instead of ceding power to them and giving them control over our water. We've got to make Colorado water decisions in Colorado by Coloradans. I will do everything I can to protect the water that is rightly ours. And that starts with storage. Instead of continuing to study the problem and adding another study and this study and that study, Let's just act. We've had storage projects on hold for 20 years, and I get that we need to be conscientious about the environment and the neighborhoods, the communities we're putting these projects in, but we desperately need to keep the water that is ours, that is flowing out of our state because we aren't storing it appropriately. That's the number one Number one issue that rural Colorado is worried about. Now I get that like Douglas County and other communities are worried about it too, but we can't just let them dry up our farms and ranches across the state in order to provide water to the front range. We can, we can have conversations about this, but first and foremost, we've got to protect the water that is rightly ours and then figure out a way how to share it across Colorado. Would you be in favor of a statewide water conservation effort? I mean, we use. have one right now. I think we're all worried about water, right? I've put together 27 water leaders from around the state who are helping me with my water policy. And we've been working together for months, um, figuring out a plan for day one so that we can go aggressively after 
um, protecting our water and making sure that we can grow because we want to grow as evidenced by my desire to go to zero income tax. But water plays a key part in affordable housing and building out more housing across Colorado and growing our communities. So it's all interlaced right now. Higher education. Uh, that's a very important part of our future. Uh, are you comfortable with our higher education system today? Well, as a regent at the University of Colorado, no, I'm not. Well, it's, you're you're a regent, so why haven't you done something about it? Well, I'm one of nine regents, and if you haven't heard, we lost the majority on the board, so it's been a bit tough to get things through. But in my first few years when we did have the majority, we fought like crazy to lower tuition and fees and stop building these big, expensive buildings when we know things are going digital. We fought to get students' tuition rebates when we went uh, online and the board turned it down. I fought to stop mandates because we've got to trust people again to keep themselves healthy and safe. I fought hard for free speech. Um, I was able to work with some other regents to stop safe free speech zones on college campuses, and we went to the legislature, and with the help of some of the friends there, we got that passed for all of Colorado. And the most controversial thing I've done, you guys, this is crazy, is fought to bring civics back to higher education and make sure that our kids can learn how the government works and about the Constitution and the Founding Fathers and their vision for this country. Because I've been so blessed to live the American dream because of where I was born and because of a loving family that provided me with support. Because I had a good education when the public schools were doing well and teaching us how to read, write, and do math. And because I started Camp Bow Wow when we didn't have overburdensome regulations and taxes and fees, I am worried sick about what's happening in our state. Mm -hmm. It is headed in the wrong direction, and we need new leadership now. Uh, it has been widely reported throughout the country that 60% of Republican challengers in public office are election deniers. Are you an election denier? No, I've been saying repeatedly for since I launched the election, since I launched my campaign, that Joe Biden is president. He's our commander in chief. So is my lieutenant governor, by the way. And the media will not cover it because it makes a much better story, a much more yeah, but, heated but, campaign but, but, but if they don't believe but, us. But, but, but your your running mate is an election. He denier. is not an he election. Is. Go Dean, look at the facts. He is he a is. Navy veteran of four, of 24 but he, but years that grew up still, in the projects of Louisiana. He's, he's, he's African-American. He has said over and over again, did you read the op-ed in the Gazette right mm. after he launched? I have he read. said, yeah, we all have questions. We're allowed to have questions about what happened in the elections. Stacey Abrams has still not conceded. Hillary Clinton had questions. Why is everybody so afraid to have a conversation about this? This is where free speech comes back into play. This is America where we get to question things, and he deserves the ability to question because he served in the Navy for 24 years. Okay. Will you accept the results of the election? Absolutely. All right. Okay, it's time for your two-minute close. Thanks, Dean. And I, I know I sound heated, you guys, but there is so much at stake for our state and our country right now. I am terrified of what's going to happen for our children and grandchildren if we don't take a stand and change the way we are going. Our kids are dying. We have the second highest drug addiction rate in the country for children here in Colorado. We have the sixth highest suicide rate for kids here in Colorado. High potency marijuana is becoming a huge issue. It's destroying kids' futures. 
We've got a lot of work to do to get our kids back on track. And first and foremost, I'm running as a mom, a mom of twins, Jack and Jenna, who are 10, of Holly, who's 13, and my older daughter, Tori, who's 27. And I desperately want them to have the same opportunities, the same future that I got to have as a kid in Monument, Colorado, with little money, but a lot of love and support and a great state and a great community to grow up in. I desperately, desperately want you to look at the real numbers. There's a lot of fluffy talking points going on, but if you look at the statistics, they don't lie. They do not lie. I am a kid from Monument, Colorado, who will put my heart and soul into saving this state and getting it headed in the right direction. That's why I'm running, and I would so appreciate your support. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Regent Goodall. And uh, our democracy depends on people that are willing to step out and give their ideas and put themselves up for public office. And as a citizen of Colorado, I thank you for doing it. Morning, Governor. How are you today? Well, thanks for coming today and uh, uh, talking to us about issues. Uh, you're about to finish a four-year term as governor. Could you briefly tell us what you've accomplished in the four years and uh, maybe three or four of what you think are the high points of your four years? Sure. First and foremost, on everybody's minds, our state's been through and the world's been through a lot of challenges the last four years. Um, global pandemic. I'm proud of the fact that Colorado had the ninth lowest death rate of any state and one of the strongest economic recoveries in the country. Three largest wildfires in the history of our state. Most destructive fire in the history of our state, the Marshall Fires in Boulder. Uh, we've upped our fire response. Uh, despite the challenges we faced, uh, we focused on working with Colorado Concern and others uh, to move forward. Uh, one of the reasons I ran for governor was to make sure every child could go to full-day kindergarten and preschool in our state. We only had half-day kindergarten. Parents had to pay for full-day. Preschool was sporadic. We now have universal uh, full-day kindergarten, and universal preschool starts next year. And that's important for kids. It's important for today's workforce, for working families and single parents and those who want to reenter the workforce. Uh, and it's important to save people money. Preschool will save families about $5,000 a year. We also worked with Colorado Concern on transportation. Uh, we were able to get done a bill that my opponent said she'd repeal, uh, which fundamentally uh, invests about $5 billion into our roads and bridges. Um, I think I'm the first governor that can come before you and say the roads and bridges are going to get better over the next decade here in Colorado rather than worse. And it's a combination of the work we did with concern in the business community and the federal bipartisan infrastructure package. Uh, finally, um, I think that we've done a, a lot of work around uh, securing Colorado's clean energy future. We, I ran on a promise of 100% renewable energy by 2040. We've now worked with our utilities to lock in lower cost wind and solar energy, uh, green dividends to, to rate payers. Tri-State was able to reduce their rates 8% because of low cost new energy. Uh, and we're going to be at 80% uh, renewable energy in just seven and a half years by 2030. So if you could wave a magic wand and 
do a do-over? Are there any things you've done in those four years that you would change? Well, uh, you know, I, I live in the, 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 the fact-based world. I, I, I look at information. What, what I said really many weeks during the pandemic, Dean, and I, I think it's the case with so many policies, if I had the benefit of tomorrow's information last week, I'd be able to make even better decisions. And that goes for Monday night quarterbacking. It goes for being governor. Uh, acting with the information I had, Dean, uh, I, I think I made the best decision at, at every moment. Um, with subsequent information, I think what you need in a governor is somebody who's willing to be flexible and understand that when you get new information, uh, it's okay to change your course. It's okay to look at new data and new information to find new and better ways to do things. And, and that'll be my approach in the next term, just as it was in the last term. Well, that leads to my next question. What will a second term of Governor Polis look like if the voters give you one? Uh, I'll, I'll identify kind of a, a couple major issues, most of which I really want to work with Colorado Concern on. Um, one of those is is property tax, and, and we took some good first steps together, right? We repealed the Gallagher tax, which Gallagher uh, formula, which applied a Denver Metro formula to the state, also jacked up commercial rates. But we didn't replace it yet. We did a temporary two-year tax cut, and I want to thank everybody in the business community for your help, $700 million on both every commercial property, every residential property in the state. But we have to find a permanent mechanism to prevent people from being priced out of where they live just because property taxes have gone up. And when my opponent, by the way, talks about states with zero income tax, a laudable goal, I share that goal, but I talk about replacing it. You look at states that have property taxes three or four times what Colorado has. We actually have the 48th lowest property tax. So I want to make sure as we talk about replacing or reducing income tax, that's not on the backs of property tax. Secondly, housing. Um, you know, when we had a bipartisan listening tour across the state when we received the American Rescue Act funds. In every corner of our state, from Fort Morgan to Denver to Pueblo to Grand Junction, housing in different forms came up, Our high, uh, the high country, our mountain community, our resorts. And we need to figure out a way. And, and Colorado Concern, um, Cheddar Latcham's been a great a champion of this. We need to figure a way to remove barriers to housing and address housing as the inter-jurisdictional issue that it is. Um, I'm all for local control, but when the decisions of one community affect neighboring communities as they do in water, as they do in transportation, and as they do in housing, we have to make sure we have a regional, statewide plan for more homes that people can afford to buy close to where the jobs are and along transit corridors. Okay. Um, leaders of the oil and gas industry, uh, many of whom are represented here today, uh, have not been happy with your four years in their industry. Uh, give us your view on that and tell us, will a second term be any different than the first term where oil and gas regs are concerned? So my opponent is touting two mutually exclusive things. Um, one is to get rid of regulations in oil and gas, and the second is to provide regulatory stability. Uh, the two are necessary parts of one another, and I think that uh, those who are here in the oil and gas industry uh, would agree that we've provided a greater degree of regulatory stability exactly because we've invited local communities to, to the table. We've released some of the natural tensions in a state that has counties like Weld County and Boulder County, uh, Los Animas County and Douglas County. I mean, there's different approaches. There's different ways to integrate, not unique to oil and gas, all types of 
commercial zoning, residential zoning, uh, different styles and, and different communities, and we value that. Uh, and we've invited them to the table and we've put health and safety first. Um, what can we do better? And we've talked about this, how we can make sure we have the resources at the Colorado Oil and Gas Commission to make sure that they can execute their charge expeditiously. I, I absolutely think that uh, with the new efforts that went in, there was a period of time where they had to do the rulemaking. They're nearly through that. Uh, I'm hopeful that they will be able to get through the backlog and, and get it done with our stable uh, regulatory structure that we have, which will hopefully be able to unleash additional capital investment uh, in the energy space in Colorado. Well, I think the oil industry would would, would they've, they've got some metrics to support support their position. I mean, oil and gas production has declined, and uh, oil and gas people are reluctant to put the capital needed uh, to expand oil and gas because of some of these regulations. Do you have any hope to them that some of that could be relieved? Well, the level of oil and gas production in our state and, and really across the uh, United States is very price sensitive. So uh, the truth is with low prices, uh, and you might recall there was a time during the pandemic where spot oil even had a negative price, production did decline. Production's actually gone up this last year. More permits pulled, increasing production. A major pr producer the other day told me they're increasing their capital investment in Colorado. Um, and, and, and that's a function of prices, and that'll... We've seen these cycles occur in our state. Uh, prices go up, more production. Prices go down, less production. Uh, we've worked on a couple ways uh, to really expedite uh, putting health and safety first, involving local communities, master drilling plans, which many of the major operators come in no longer with, oh, there's a well that we want to drill. They come in with a master plan for an entire area with several well pads. If you've seen these new well pads, it's not a one-up. They could have 24, 48 well heads drilling horizontally in a number of directions, addressing the surface, surface impact concerns with the community, with the towns. Uh, and that's really uh, the way that oil and gas looks in our state. So uh, as long as there's a market for these products, and I expect that there will be for the short term, for the medium term, the long term is your guess as good as mine. Uh, we are able to produce it economically in Colorado, providing good jobs and contributing to national energy security. Realizing that climate change is a serious problem all over the world, and Colorado's no different, uh, do we have enough plans in place to deal with the environmental challenges we have, or do you have thoughts about additional plans? Look, uh, the world needs to do more, uh, and it's a very tenuous time in, in the history of the world. I mean, we are uh, closer to the precipice of nuclear war uh, than any time uh, since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and that's also led to international supply concerns and inflation and cutting Russia off the international, rightfully so, off of the natural gas markets uh, because of their aggressive invasion of, of Ukraine. Uh, when you look at how Colorado uh, is going to benefit from the clean energy economy, uh, we're really excited about not only moving uh, our electrical grid with all of our, you know, Excel, everybody, low-cost solar and wind, 80% by 2030, but we're also excited about that final 20%. That's why, as chair of the bipartisan Western Governors Association, uh, I, I established my initiative as the heat beneath our feet, how to better tap our geothermal resources 
for that base load, right? You can get up to 80, 85% with the lowest form, cost form of energy, solar and wind. But how do you, how do you replace that base load energy? That's that space that hydro and nuclear and other and storage and other forms of energy operate. Adding to that mix, uh, there's amazing geothermal resources across the West. That was at Colorado Mesa University three days ago. Did you know that at CMU, 70% of their building space is heated through a passive geothermal heating and cooling system. And we hope to work with them to get that to be 100%. But there's enormous opportunities for Colorado to really show that leadership using the heat beneath our feet and other assets that we have. Thank you. You know, it's not a new problem, but a problem we've had for a long time uh, is water. And we don't have enough water for the future. And it's getting worse. Uh, uh, Bill Owens, when he was governor, pushed a referendum to provide capital to build more buckets to keep some of the water we have. It, it failed. Uh, we keep growing. The water problem throughout the West gets worse and worse. What's the solution to ensuring that we have enough water to continue growth and continue the lifestyle that we want in Colorado? Well, within the legal framework we have, sadly, it, it's it's not what, what my opponent dictated. Just ignore the, the federal uh, compacts and multi-state compacts and, and do whatever we want. We're, there's a complex legal world around water. And, of course, any governor, I think Heidi or me, would fight for Colorado water to the maximum extent possible under state law. I don't doubt that any governor would, but, but that's not an answer. Um, we exist under a system of multi-state compacts and, and uh, federal oversight that we need to make sure we maximize the benefit for Coloradans. Um, look, this ties into a number of different areas in our state. One of them is agriculture. Uh, I am against buy and dry schemes that would dry up agri agricultural production and jobs in Colorado uh, simply for water for our fast-growing metropolitan areas. We cannot pit one area of Colorado against another. It's a little we, late for that. It, it's, it, it is, but it's something that is a basic value. We need to avoid this cannibalization of our state. So how do we do that? That's what I want to get to, Dean. It's part and parcel of the housing policy and housing reforms that we need to work with concern, the business community, developers, water community, environmental community, and many others to get done. We simply cannot afford, from a water security perspective, continued exurban sprawl. We have to be able to have more water-efficient housing, which inherently it is, uh, whether it's urban infill, whether it's on transit, close to where jobs are, more affordable. We have to, for the first time, tie our water security policy with our land use policy. And that's something that has not happened in our state, uh, but we're gonna work together with the broad coalition to ensure that we have a strong water future. Uh, let's talk about crime. Uh, crime is a huge problem throughout the country and it's gotten worse and worse and Colorado's no exception. Uh, auto thefts are higher in Colorado than any other place the drug problems are. If you talk to the mayors uh, in the state, especially the city mayors, and you talk to the chiefs of police, uh, they will say that legislation passed by a Democratic legislature and signed by you is one of the driving forces that's driven 
this crime wave. Uh, first of all, what would you say to that? And second, what's the solution for it that you would look at in your second term if you're elected? Look, uh, working with the uh, Democratic legislature they owned, they had in the last uh, two years, both chambers, um, I think the state uh, has already very much started to move uh, towards better support for law enforcement, stronger sentencing on fentanyl. I think Speaker Garnett is here. He was able to pull together uh, law enforcement uh, parents and survivors of those who lost their lives to fentanyl to not only uh, establish much tougher criminal penalties around fentanyl, but also we were one of the first states in the country to add new criminal penalties, for instance, around pill presses, which might only have um, a small amount of fentanyl contamination, but it were being used to put fentanyl in to other products unknowingly to poison Coloradans. So we've started to get some of those tools in place. It's not only about those prosecutorial tools, which are important, and I do support more. It's also about resources, right? And it's about a contrast between a plan that, no matter how my opponent says, would gut law enforcement and corrections of money. It's just math. It's not an opinion. It's math. Uh, and our plan, which we're investing in law enforcement, we did about $160 million bipartisan package supports for grants for local law enforcement. And keep in mind, Dean State doesn't nor shouldn't run local law enforcement. We don't. We have our, we have our uh, state patrol, state troopers organization, but we're not going to run Aurora PD or Denver PD or, or uh, El Paso County Sheriff's Department. But we can and we should step up and support them. We're doing that. But we're also supporting behavioral health specialists, so make sure we can prevent crime before it occurs by addressing those behavioral health needs in our community, looking at diversion programs for youth, for youth who've had interactions with the law to get them on the right path to become productive citizens rather than career criminals, reducing recidivism for those who serve, whether they're in there for a year, whether they're in there for six years, we want to make sure they're less likely to commit a crime when they get out. So that kind of comprehensive approach, we, so at the gubernatorial level, we express a vision, and then we try to fill it with actions to fill that. So we are trying to align all of our actions to make Colorado one of the 10 safest states over the next five years. We're currently 23rd or 29th, depending on, on, on the metrics. We're a little bit better on, on lower risk on violent crimes, a little bit more risky on property crimes. But that's not good enough for Colorado. By working together, using data first and central, we can support local law enforcement in making Colorado one of the safest states. Okay. Um Colorado's grown dramatically. and Since I've been here, it's doubled in population, and transportation has become a huge problem, uh, especially if you're driving in the mountains on a Friday afternoon. Uh, how do you see solving our transportation problems statewide uh, in the long-term future, and more importantly, if given a second term? How would you deal with solving some of the transportation problems? Yeah, well, you know, Highway 70, which you identified as a vexing problem from an engineering perspective, as much or more than a financial perspective. But we have fully funded and are underway Floyd Hill expansion, additionally in each way for the 14-mile stretch that often is that bottleneck on the way in and the way out uh, on, on weekends. With a combination of the state bipartisan infrastructure package and appreciate Colorado Concerns work, the federal bipartisan infrastructure package, uh, we are in a very strong position with regard to funding for infrastructure in our state. It is now our job at our Department of Transportation to get the most bang for our buck with the money we have. Yesterday, I was with Mayor Southers in Colorado Springs celebrating the opening of the um, Research Gate Parkway exit off of Powers uh, five months ahead of schedule. 
we were able to get the GAP project done north of Colorado Springs, again, under budget and ahead of schedule. By driving this operational efficiency, by driving the schedule, uh, by having folks in charge that are able to demand accountability, we're able to make sure you get the most for your money. And let me also add that, of course, no policy that any legislature has ever passed is perfect by all of us. Not a policy you would write, Dean, not a policy concern would write, not a policy I would write. But at the end of the day, the fact that we were able to get there with the state bipartisan transportation funding bill, five billion over 10 years, and by the way, 70% of it, roads and bridges, 30%, and some thought it should be more, some less, you know, bike lanes, transit, other things, but it, it incorporates all the different ways people get places, thoughtful, forward-looking approach. We got it done. My opponent would undo it. That would be a step back for Colorado, more traffic, more congestion. We're gonna move forward and get accountability and results. Okay, let's talk about higher ed briefly. Uh, uh, that's a pet project of mine, as you know. And when you look around Colorado, we've got a lot of small universities, uh, plus the larger ones. And the smaller ones struggle because, I mean, you've got Adam State with like 1,400 students for a four-year university. Wouldn't there be, or would there be, a way to consolidate the university system and to eliminate some of the overhead to make it more efficient? Or is that politically just not doable? Well, the short answer is yes. Um, the longer answer is this isn't a forum for those very challenging and uh, ongoing stakeholder discussions around how we can do that. I can tell you that uh, Western is working more closely with CU. We're continuing to encourage Adam State to work more closely with CSU. There's also some small independent universities like CMU that are doing great, meeting their goals, serving important needs. One of the unique things about CMU is they're the only joint community college and four-year college in the state. Uh, the short answer is yes. Long answer is roll up our sleeves, get the work done. Uh, I agree completely. We, we, for instance, Adam State plays such a critical role in the San Luis Valley. We have to make sure that there's a strong, vibrant institution there. Uh, the CSU system has done a great job helping to turn around CSU Pueblo. Uh, CSU Pueblo today is not the CSU Pueblo of 10 years ago. By the way, first campus in our state, 100% renewable energy. I was there with President Mote uh, the other day, uh, exciting hub of transportation research, uh, and their student enrollment continues to increase. During the last four years as governor, you had to deal with the pandemic, which is something that none of us have seen in our lifetime. Um, uh, you got really good, good, good marks throughout the country on leading the state, and I think most in the state feel good about about how you've led. Although a lot of people differ, so you know. But but it helped us learn a lot about our our healthcare system. Um, what did what did you learn about Colorado's healthcare system, and through that process? Do you have any thoughts about improving our healthcare system? So, you know, with regards to the pandemic, uh, in a transparent way, I set our goals early on. I said we are going to avoid overflowing our hospital system and not having enough beds if you have a heart attack or stroke. Um, it got close to times, but we succeeded in doing that. That's one of the reasons we had one of the lower death rates. 
there were days and nights I was, you know, on my phone with the, uh, my chief of staff, Lisa Coffin, you know, hospitals at 92%, 93%. It was tight at times. But unlike some other states, we did avoid uh, overcrowding our hospitals. We learned a lot. We built a stronger working relationship with our hospitals through that process. Um, they have uh, complicated, important businesses for the state. Um, we've identified a number of workforce issues that we are now working on with them. For instance, we work with our community college system and our healthcare providers to now make it free in Colorado to get that entry-level medical certification. So EMT, nurse, uh, CNA, uh, phlebotomist, pharmacy assistant, these are all certificate programs that are now free. Now, many people will want to work in those careers. Others will then use that as an entry point to go from CNA to nurse or to uh, continue to move that career upwards. Um, I think we've got a greater grasp on the needs of the healthcare workforce. And at the same time, of course, like anything, accountability, I do support, and we have now in place transparency and pricing and a number of other activities that can try to get at addressing some of the moral hazards and disincentives that are inherent in a system where the payer is separate from the provider, right? You go in, you get the care, you have an insurer, you might have a maximum out of pocket, but there's an inherent disconnect there that prevents the market from functioning as well as it should to bring down rates. Okay. There have been stories and rumors that there might one day be a presidential run in your future. Is there? You know, uh, like my opponent, I have young kids. My son, it's his 11th birthday today. Uh, we're going to celebrate that tonight. My daughter's eight. Uh, of course, uh, I'm not considering doing anything that would take me away from my family like that. I love Colorado. I'm passionate about Colorado. I'm running for governor because I want to be your governor for the next four years. So is that a no? Uh, I, it's, a, it's a no. I'm not interested at all. I want to be your governor for the next four years of the great state of Colorado. All right. That's why I'm running. Okay. Uh, governor, it's time for you to make your close. Look, we have an amazing state. Uh, we are so proud to live here. I'm, I'm proud to be raising my kids here. Um, uh, and, 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 and it's a state that we need to work hard to make an even more amazing place every day. We have a great business climate. We celebrated uh, a company just earlier today, the Metro Development, uh, coming to Colorado. Uh, just the other day, I was rep representing Baisley, uh, Adam Com Computing, a quantum computing company coming to Boulder in part because of our research ecosystem with uh, Jilla and, the, and, and CU. Uh, but, of course, we need to do more to make sure that we can improve our quality of life in Colorado. Housing, housing, housing is one of those issues. Uh, Colorado is a great place to live. Secrets out. We don't want to be victims of our own success. Average home price, $600,000. We do not want to become like California and other areas where the average home price is a million dollars 10 years from now. Unless we take action, I fear that it will, and that's why we want to take action. We need to take action to get preschool and kindergarten right and more affordable childcare opportunities to power our workforce and give kids a strong start. And when you continue to protect and expand our outdoor areas, what makes Colorado special, we've added two state parks. Uh, we reduced the cost of a state park pass from over $80 to $29 a year for families. And we look forward to doing even more so Coloradans can continue to enjoy our great outdoors. I'm Jared Polis, and I'd be honored to have your support this November. Thank you, Governor, for being here. Thank you, Governor Polis, and thank you, Regent Canal, for joining us today. And I also want to thank our esteemed moderator, Dean Singleton. Uh, and thank you all for coming. That's it. Hope you enjoyed the day.
Thanks for listening to the In the Arena podcast with Colorado Concern. I hope you'll subscribe so you can stay informed on the intersection of business and politics in Colorado. 